Hello, I'm Neil Quigley and welcome to the latest episode of my podcast, including my one and only trip to the celebrity haunt that was the Met Bar, the best practical joke I was ever involved in and an old interview of me and Marcus Brigstock talking about pub quizzes. All on the way this week. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. I do love Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter just reading it and I only follow people I like so I spend a lot of time responding to people I like and if I see something good or someone does something that I think's worth commenting on in a positive way, I'll hunt them down on Twitter and I'll say if I go and see a show, if I think it's good, I'll say. What I don't tend to do is what a lot of people do, is just use Twitter to slang people off and have a go at everyone. That's not really how I do it. But one thing I've discovered on Twitter, and I don't follow this particular man, but he is doing something that's quite amusing that I've seen a few other people either retweet or I've managed to find it on Twitter when I've just been bored on the train journey. The man in question I'm talking about is Gordon Ramsay. What Gordon Ramsay, the celebrity chef, who, let's face it, doesn't mind the odd swear word, what he tends to do, and I don't know if this is something he's instigated or something that's just kind of naturally happened and basically he's got involved with it, but if you go to Gordon Ramsay's Twitter account, he does tend to get sent a lot of pictures of food. So people will make something at home, make some sort of dish, and they'll send him a photo of it. And not always, because I imagine he gets sent lots of photos and can't always respond to all of them, but certainly a fair few. Gordon Ramsay will critique the picture. Now, obviously, it's hard to evaluate the full effect of the meal just from looking at the picture of it. You can't taste it. You can't really see how it was made. You don't know much about it. But you'll be unsurprised to hear Gordon Ramsay does not hold back with his opinions of these dishes. And the ones he tends to retweet rather obviously and rather cleverly are the ones that do look absolutely horrendous and he does go to town. I've seen him reply asking if the people who ate it had got out of hospital yet on one occasion. He did in another one suggest that maybe the person's dog might have enjoyed eating the food. He's not very complimentary to any of these dishes but I have to say it is quite funny. I hope He's doing it tongue-in-cheek and not seriously. I think he is, to be fair. I think he has got a better sense of humour than maybe people give him credit for sometimes. Neil Quigley. Now, I appreciate I've got a very privileged job. I get to meet and talk to some amazing people and I've been very lucky over the years with who I've met. I remember one time the excellent Jim Diamond came into my studio and brought with him his great mate Snake Davis, the brilliant saxophone player. Snake has played with the M people. He played the solo on Take That's A Million Love Songs, that fantastic sax solo on the record that was Snake Davis so Snake and Jim Diamond came into my studio did a couple of songs together which sounded brilliant and I interviewed them both I remember having a chat to Jim Diamond and this by the way is probably how not to conduct an interview this should go on the list of things you really shouldn't do somehow during quite early on in our chat we got into a conversation about which one of his songs was the best now I was saying it's got to be Shoulda Known Better. That's a brilliant song. Shoulda Known Better, the best Jim Diamond song. He's going, no, no, no. I much prefer PhD, who was his band before he went solo, and I won't let you down. We must have argued for about two minutes. And then I think I suddenly realised you can't argue with the man who's done both of these songs about which song is the best song. Whichever he says, that is the right answer. So with April Fool's Day coming up, what is the best practical joke you have ever played? Or what is the best joke you've been tricked by? The best prank that's caught you out completely? This is my favourite prank that I was ever 
involved in. Happily, the friend who we did this to is still talking to me and is still a good mate, but at the time, this was funny. I was actually doing hospital radio at Stoke Mandeville, and two of the guys I worked with, one had already got an Audi car, one had just got a brand new Audi. And we used to work together on a Tuesday night. One of us would do the early show, a couple of us would do the middle show, and one guy would do the late show. Now, the guy who was doing the late show was the guy who had the new Audi. He was the latest Audi owner. Now, one night, all of us who were doing the early shows were heading to the pub to uh, have a few drinks after the show. But before we went, the guy who had the Audi a bit longer, he brought his spare set of keys in because the other guy used to foolishly leave his car keys lying about. So what we did before we went to the pub, we switched the keys over. Audi keys all looked the same. There was no key ring. So all we did, we swapped my mate's spare Audi keys for his car and we took away the actual Audi car keys to the car from the guy who was doing the late show. We then headed down the pub for an hour or so and we came back to hide behind a wall to watch the guy doing the late show come out of the hospital radio studios and head to his car. Now bearing in mind, the key he has in his hand, which he thinks is his Audi car keys, it is not. It is my mate's spare Audi set for his car. But in our hands, what we have is his actual car keys. So we can open and shut his car. We can lock it, we can unlock it. So he walks towards the car and as he gets a bit closer, he starts pressing the key he has in his hand. Well, would you believe it? The car is not unlocking. It's not opening. He's looking confused. He can't work it out. He's trying again. He's starting to get a little bit angry. It's a new car. He's probably a bit upset. He can't get in. So he starts walking away from the car to head back in, possibly to phone someone. Just as he starts walking away from the car, we unlock the car with the set of keys we have, the right set of keys. As we unlock the car, he starts walking back towards the car. As he gets close enough to the car, we lock the car. He then starts getting a little bit angry and a bit more confused. He's looking at the keys in his hand. He's pushing them on. He's pushing them off again. He starts to walk away. So we open and unlock the car once again. This time we leave it open long enough for him to sit in it. Once he's in the car, we then lock him in the car and leave him in the car for about a minute locked in, looking very confused and very worried. At this point, we are all hiding behind a wall, absolutely killing ourselves with laughter. It's the funniest thing ever, not helped by the fact he is getting angrier and angrier and more confused. We kept it going for probably longer than we should have on reflection, I'll admit, probably about six or seven minutes but it was good fun until we did come clean. We just come out from the wall, handed him his car keys back and explained what we'd done. He, fair play to him, took it in very good spirits. And as I said, we're still very good mates now, but it was fantastic fun. The best prank I've ever been involved in by an absolute mile. What's yours? Get in contact, let us know. If we get these out in the open now, we'll all be extra vigilant so we won't be caught out on April Fool's Day itself. We'll be one step ahead of the game and cleverer than everybody else. Neil Quigley. Please be joined by comedian Marcus Brigstock to talk about probably one of my favourite pastimes, actually, pub quizzes and pub quiz questions in particular. Marcus, hello. Hello, Neil. How are you? I'm good. You? Excellent. Yeah, very good. So you, you like a pub quiz, do you? I love a quiz, yeah, definitely. Excellent. But one Excellent. thing that kind of surprised me about uh, the uh, survey, well, there's two subjects that have been named as the weakest subjects. I'm not surprised by one of them. I'm very surprised by the other one of them. Which one surprised you? Sport. I thought sport would be a strong subject. I thought everyone knew things about sport. Politics, I'm 
not surprised is a weak subject. Well, you see, I don't know anything about sport. Whenever I'm on a pub quiz team and it gets to a sport question, I just shrug and sit back in my chair. There's nothing I can do. But that's the answer to a decent pub quiz team, isn't it? You need people who can cover different areas and then everyone who's got a decent grounding in general knowledge. Trouble is, that's not the way pub teams usually work, unless you get to the high level, the sort of uh, team that could be on eggheads. Normally, a pub mm. quiz is, it's a Thursday night, for example, you get a few phone calls from your mates saying, what are you doing tonight? And you kind of end up down the local yeah. pub having a pint trying to answer questions you have no idea what the answer is well i mean these are the kind of people that for me have ruined the pub quiz by not taking it as seriously as they should the pub quiz has been dominated for years now by this sort of casual attitude it's something that britain should be taking seriously we should be forming teams based on strengths not friendships and getting out there and winning these quizzes and walking home with that half crate of ale. Just coming on to this survey that's taken place, and of course the reason behind this survey, just tell us a bit about that if you would, Marcus. It turns out, despite Britain basically being a good place for a pub quiz, we excel at this, that there are loads of really, really obvious questions that evidently very few people know the answer to. These are mainly trick questions, but things like who's had the uh, highest number of Christmas number ones? You think of Christmas number ones and there's only one man you think of, you think of... uh, it's a cliff, don't you, really? You're running immediately towards Stiff Pilchard. But it's not him. It isn't. It's actually the Beatles. These are all foxy questions that would go into early rounds of a pub quiz where you think, well, I know that. Like, the Canary Islands were named after which animal? Dying to say canary, aren't you? Of course I am. And it, it must be the right answer. It is not. The correct answer is dogs. Seriously? You see? Yeah. World's largest desert. Oh, I'm rubbish on deserts. Um, I, I don't know. What would you plump for? Clock's ticking. Oh, dear. This is, this is high pressure. I wasn't expecting this today at yeah. the Sahara. Now, you see, you'd be up there with 62.53% of the country getting it wrong. The answer is Antarctica. Desert? the largest desert. Yeah, it's a desert. It's actually the driest place on Earth. Although, if you give it time, the rate at which we are melting Antarctica through climate change... Be the biggest uh, sea. Eventually, it'll be the largest sea, and your answer of the Sahara, which will have taken over most of uh, southern Africa, will be correct. So Uh, it is only a matter of time. I don't know if I've got enough time for me to be correct on that one, unfortunately. No, fair enough. The years that will take. And and I don't think it's something we should aspire to either. Just so I can win a pub quiz, we ruin the world. Well, whatever it takes to get that win in the bag the questions you think you know the answer to but you don't but the thing that worries me more actually is it is the people mm. who do know the answer to these questions you know what i mean you get the ones who just know all the answers to all the ridiculous questions mind you they're the sort mm. of people you want on your pub quiz team i suppose well that's the thing you see and comedians myself excluded comedians generally are very good at this sort of thing at just knowing a lot of stuff i mean the fantasy comedians pub quiz team would be stephen fry obviously rory mcgrath also knows a stunning number of useless facts. Vic Reeves, also brilliant at this sort of thing, and Ross Noble, really, really solid people. Mind you, the thing with Ross Noble is he'd give you a big, long answer, but you wouldn't know if it was absolutely true or not, because he can go off on tangents. You think, well, that conceivably, I suppose that could be true. Amongst 40 minutes of waffle about monkeys and midgets and magical folk, be a little answer hiding. The longest pub quiz in the world, to be fair. Mind you, once you've got Stephen Fry, I don't think... Surely you don't need too many more people. Once you've got Stephen Fry, it's the captain. Well, I agree. You know, uh, what man-made landmark can be seen from space? Do you know what? I've just been to Las Vegas, and you can see that you can see the top of the. Um, I don't know if it's a man-made landmark, but apparently you can see the light from the Luxor Hotel from space. But that's not the answer. I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The answer is actually none. No man-made landmark can be seen from space unless you have a telescope, in which case all man-made landmarks can be seen from space.
I know for a fact because uh, I saw you there. You were at Glastonbury. You may have been there last year, but you were certainly there two years yeah. ago when it was uh, yeah, very, yeah. very, very muddy. Do you enjoy coming down to, to the festival? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. There's plenty of camping space and there's tons of stuff to do at Glastonbury, but when those big bands hit the main stage, all of those extra people all congregate in that middle area and it, it for me, it isn't working so well. But that said, it is still the mother of all festivals. I mean, it's it's brilliant and they do get the best lineup of bands and it's great fun, but personally, I'd like to see them scale it back. When I was there two years ago and I actually saw you uh, in the Leftfield tent, actually, come and watch you, but the problem with that was the site's so big and the weather was so rubbish with the mud. I think half yeah. the reason people congregate in the one place is because it's just too much effort to walk anywhere it's around so the site. It's so hard to move. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. I have to say, as a comedian, the Leftfield stage is so much nicer to play than the comedy tent because the expectations about being funny are, are so much lower so it's, it's a delight go on after tony ben that's a bit scary because <laughs> tony only has to hello i'm tony ben in the left field stage and everyone just is roaring and cheering and going we love you you're the only politician we've ever seen with any principles and then you go on afterwards and do five minutes of comedy material and uh, it's a delight unfortunately i missed tony ben i did catch you and i saw ed Byrne as well which was brilliant so uh, that yeah, was very yeah, very, yeah, very yeah. enjoyable very good fun. i think that was get up stand up wasn't it it was a, a um, rally against weapons of mass destruction in whoever's hands not just middle eastern countries but ourselves i think that's, it was that's why we were there i think it was but bringing things back to the uh, the, the pub quiz thing i'm not much yeah. of an expert on politics so i was there for the laughs i'm afraid rather than the messages no, well that's fine <laughs> so did you get the question right then who's the deputy leader of the labor party the deputy leader of the labor party who is it this week um, we, could st- <laughs> we could start with an easier one who's the leader of the labor party the lead- i know that one that that's still that gordon brown fellow isn't it as far as i'm yeah, aware for, for now yes Deputy leader technically is Harriet Harman, although they no longer have a deputy leader. Isn't she called something like Chief Speaker of the House? She's the chair of the Labour Party. I'm surprised. I thought because of the sort of the comedy you do and you know this stuff, I thought you'd be quite up on the old politics and stuff like that. No, I got that one. I got that one. That was all right. It was all the other ones. It was who scored the goals in the 1966 World Cup final. See, that's more me, Marcus. We should be like, go on. We should be on the same. Who scored them? Who scored what? Who scored the hat trick or who scored all the goals? Who scored for England in the 1966 World? Cup final. Jeff Hurst got three, Martin Peters got one. Correct. Thank you very much. Most people say Jeff Hurst and Bobby Charlton. You really? No, well, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a Spurs fan as well, and uh, I've, I've met Martin Peters. So that, you know, you I'm, don't, you I'm don't so forget. far out of my depth, I didn't even know we'd won the World Cup final in 96. People should really mention that more often. You know, <laughs> yeah. it would be nice to see that get mentioned from time to time. Maybe they should make, you know, make some documentaries about it occasionally. That'd be good, wouldn't Something it? Something like that, or, you know, like just, a song about it, maybe, you know. Yeah, or maybe mention it whenever England have a game yeah yeah then you, know, you then you would, like then you would be in the dark would you you'd know well i exactly. guess you know working on that assumption me and you we could be good for a team because we both between us we've got the two things that the weakest subject i've got the sport yeah. you've got the politics yeah yeah no but, exactly do you know anything about tv trivia yeah i've loads do you do yeah. you know who shot jr ewing who shot jr ewing oh that's a great that's the thing i wasn't really much of a dallas fan because the one area that is a bit weak on my tv is soap operas i don't know bobby ewing sue ellen no, most most people are inclined to say sue ellen yeah. Uh, but the actual answer is Kristen Shepherd. Ah. apparently I'm reading this from a sheet I didn't watch Dallas either so can't pretend to lord it over you for knowing the answer to that one it's written in front of me and I also don't know who Kristen Shepherd is she may have been an actual shepherd for all I know baffle your mates with useless information I love doing that though I think it's yeah 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 no I'm serious I mean that's that's what life's all about 
I love any sentence that begins with, did you know? Neil Quigley. I'm very lucky. I've got a good group of friends and people around me. And for my 25th birthday, one of my friends actually organised for me to have a great night out in London. I'd always wanted to go to the big bars in London where the stars go, do something a bit classy. And my 25th birthday, uh, one of my friends arranged for me to basically go and have an evening in the Met Bar, which at that time was the trendy go-to showbiz haunt. All the celebrities used to stumble out of the Met Bar in the early hours of the morning. Now, the Met Bar is actually the bar of the Metropolitan Hotel. So as well as going to the bar... She also organised for me to stay in a penthouse suite in the Metropolitan Hotel overlooking Hyde Park, which in itself was amazing. It gets even better. She knew the manager quite well, so she managed to sort of pull a few strings, I think, and make a few extra things happen. So once I'd checked myself into the room, knock on the door, probably about 15 minutes after I'd got into the room and was getting myself sorted, it was room service delivering a bottle of champagne and a birthday cake on the house. How cool is that? So that was brilliant. Very much enjoyed the champagne and the cake. In fact, it was already a bit of a celebrity-filled day because as we were walking up the steps to come into the hotel, on the steps, all on their mobile phones, were the whole of Atomic Kitten. Not only that, as we went to the lift to get to our room, Blue were just coming out the lift as we were going in. It was a star-studded showbiz affair. It was really good. So we had a great afternoon. We went around London. I got to bring a mate of mine as well. So me and my mate went for a few drinks in London. I think we may have gone for a bite to eat as well. Came back ready for the evening to go to the Met Bar, which was just downstairs in the Metropolitan Hotel where we were staying. So we knew we didn't have far to go home after the evening. So we went to the Met Bar. And it is so classy. It's so cool in there. The atmosphere is great. The decor is brilliant. They had a DJ on and basically a guy on some bongos as well. It was playing some really weird, funky, great music, but with the guy playing the live bongos as well. It was fantastic. We saw some celebrities. Shaggy. Oh, yeah. O'Carolina. He was around at the bout. And also in there, and being quite provident, was White Cleaver Sean. White Cleaver Sean was in there. He came in a bit later and he tried to offer everybody in the bar a drink. But basically, it wasn't him paying for the drink, he was out with his record company. So basically, he was going to get his record company to buy everybody in the bar a drink. His record company weren't quite so keen, it's fair to say. So they were kind of distancing themselves and trying not to get everybody a drink. One of the people we were with took a little bit of an exception to the fact that he'd been promised a free drink and wasn't getting this free drink and got a little bit, not annoyed, but a little bit frustrated with uh, Mr Wycliffe Sean. And he's probably not a man you wanted to frustrate because the guy in question was actually a former British champion boxer who you didn't really want to upset. I think we managed to calm down the situation. I'm not sure if he ever got his drink, but it didn't develop into anything stronger. But it was quite fun seeing Wycliffe Sean there and hearing this guy moan about not getting his free drink from Wycliffe all night. I think he disappeared fairly early, but it was a good night. Fantastic. Had a lovely time in there. Just as we're leaving, there's two doors to get out of the Met Bar. There's one that takes you back in the hotel, shouldn't get back to your room and get off, which is the one we really wanted. And there's another one that takes you out and it's the street exit. Now, me and my mate, we may have had a couple of drinks by this point. I was celebrating my 25th birthday after all. So as we go to leave, we got a bit disorientated and we actually went out the wrong door. So we walked out the door into the street. Now, the second we walked out, 
it was just the sky lit up there was all these camera flashes going off because that's where all the paparazzi wait to try and get the celebrities walking out of the bar looking disheveled looking drunk so obviously they don't even bother waiting to see who it is they'll just take the photos first and hope you're famous later i guess they'd have been relatively disappointed when they checked their cameras and realized we were nobodies but we turned back in went back in that door and got the right door out of the met bar and it went back to a hotel room had a lovely night but that was a really good experience for my 25th birthday hanging out at the met bar i'd recommend it it was fun that's it for this week thank you very much for listening never did get to see those paparazzi photographs they never made it into the tabloids have a fantastic set of days be nice to each other stay well have fun speak to you next week bye bye